I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hey, y'all, how we doing? How we doing? I am doing much better on this Thursday morning now that the heat has finally gone down just a tad here in the valley. It has been ungodly hot this week, and I hate it. First, there was the downpour rains from Hurricane Hillary. Then there was the ungodly heat. Now, hopefully, we can stay in the 80s and I don't have to feel like I'm dying. The first thing that I wanted to mention on today's episode is that I've got some really fun Patreon episodes that I just put up. The first one that I uploaded covered the author Simone de Beauvoir, who wrote the book The Second Sex and who is an infamous feminist figure. Whether or not that is a good thing or a bad thing is something that is discussed in that episode, as she is a bit of a complicated and problematic figure from our history. And then the second episode that I just uploaded, I had given you all an option of Max and I doing an episode together that was kind of like a drunk history style episode, or I would tell the story of the three times that I almost joined a cult. And of course, all of you were like, cult stories. So I did that. And in the episode, I call my mom and have her tell one of the stories because I was a toddler when this happened, so I don't have any memory of it. And it's so funny because in the conversation, my mom was like, oh, Maddie will remember this. And then she started telling me, and I'm like, why would I remember that as a kid? Like, who do you think I am? Jesus. (laughs) 
but it's a very interesting story. Luckily, I never got officially drawn into any of these groups. India's told me in the past that she thinks I'm just like averse to it. And I'm like, I don't know. I I think certain ones might have gotten me, but maybe I just got lucky. I don't know. Anyway, that is a very fun episode that I put up. And that is available to all of the levels on Patreon, whether you are a book club member or if you are on the Feminist Faves level, it doesn't matter. You're going to get those two episodes this month. If you're not a member of Patreon and you want to check it out, please go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist to join over there. You can join the book club level, which is $5 a month, where you will receive two episodes a month covering whatever book it is that we are talking about. And then if you join the Feminist Faves level, you automatically become a member of the book club. You get these episodes ad-free, and you get some random bonus stuff every now and again. I had attempted a Zoom party, and it failed miserably. (laughs) One person came, which was wonderful. Her name is Abigail, and she's very, very communicative on Patreon with me, and I love that. And we talked about some of the books that we're going to be talking about coming up, and she had a lot of really good advice and suggestions. I truly, truly love hearing what you have to say because it it makes things easier on me when I have to make decisions on books or what I should do on Patreon. I truly just want to give you what you want, especially because you're paying your money for it. So please don't be shy. Please reach out to me. Tell me what you want to hear and I will give it to you. I promise. The other thing that I just wanted to remind you all is that I have another show that's out. It's called Still Learning. It's hosted by one of my best friends, India, and it is fantastic, truly. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but we did a really, really good job on this thing. We are kind of having to go back and forth as to whether or not we will be releasing another episode this coming Friday. I know I already announced it on the last episode that it would for sure be coming out, but we are in the middle of some potential business dealings and such where we had to kind of like backpedal a little bit, but the two of us were like, yeah, like gung-ho excited on, you know, putting everything up right away and now we're like, oh, shit, okay, we got we to gotta back up a little bit, but they're coming soon, I promise. We're not going to hold on to these episodes for too long and torture you all because truly, we're just so proud of what we've done, and I'm so excited for everyone to continue listening to all of the different interviews that we have had, but if you haven't listened to episode one where India speaks with Diane Ben Scotter, who was a member of the cult, the Moonies, in the 70s, and she luckily escaped and then became a deprogrammer and has worked with so many people who are trying to leave cults, and India was one of them. So it was a really special conversation, you know, being five years out of Nexium, seeing India and Diane have this conversation. It was the one episode that we did together in the same room. And it was a big day for our friendship and our bond. And it was just like, it was a really, really beautiful day. It's an amazing interview, especially with episode one. I mean, an unbelievable amount of work was put into it. Max does all the music for the show. It's just, it's such an act of love. I hope you all have listened to it. If you haven't, please go. You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts by searching for Still Learning. Make sure you find the one with the mushroom logo that says With India Oxenberg on it. 
And if you like it, share it with a friend, leave a review, rate the show, all that fun stuff. Everything that you would do for me, do for that show now. (laughs) I appreciate you all so much, truly. I've been getting a lot of really good responses from all of you who have listened to it, and it makes me so happy. Also, in the coming episodes, if you're like, oh, we only heard a little bit of Madigan, you are going to hear me quite a bit more in some of the episodes where I'm part of the interview and part of the conversation. So you can definitely look forward to that as well. All right. I cannot stall any longer. Y'all, this this week's topics, they're making me real, real mad. I mean, I get that this show is called Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, but like, I don't know how angry y'all actually want me to get because This is a doozy. I was already ranting to Max earlier, and I think he was genuinely concerned about my state of mind while I was complaining about all this stuff. I just couldn't believe the first story, especially. Oh, oh my gosh. All right. Let's take a deep breath and then let's get into these terrible topics. Before I get into today's topic, I do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning because it does have to do with sexual assault, and more specifically, it has to do with sexual assault of a minor. This is also going to be discussing abortion, so if that's something that's going to be sensitive for you as well, you can skip ahead to the next topic. But this story was something that was sent to me by quite a few listeners And I feel like it's something that's very important to discuss, especially because we are still battling such strict abortion laws and bans in this country, and we are seeing such catastrophic effects from that. And this story in particular, I think, exemplifies a lot of the terrible things that can happen when reproductive rights are taken away. A 13-year-old girl who is just about to start seventh grade in Clarksdale, Mississippi, had a baby this month. Her family, for the most part, had hidden her pregnancy. In the fall of 2022, the girl, who's going by the pseudonym Ashley for this Time Magazine article, was raped by a stranger in the yard outside of her home while she was recording videos for TikTok. Oh my God, this just this little fact alone already makes me so angry because... Why is nowhere safe? Why can't kids just be kids and live their lives and enjoy themselves and be safe in their own yards? I just, I don't understand it. I think about my own childhood and I was just actually speaking with someone about this, how I had pretty like minimal supervision for the most part because my dad was never home or around and my mom worked from home. So like she would be inside in her office or doing her thing and I mean, God knows where I would be. I would tell her if I left the house or anything like that. Like we we saw enough of each other for that. But I could be outside God knows where, <laughs> you know, I could be wherever in the house. We had multiple stories of our house. I could be, you know, somewhere completely different and my mom would have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I had very little regulation on my playtime as a kid. And that was something that I really loved. I didn't have to rely on my mom for entertainment or to tell me what to do or anything like that. I could just kind of like make a mess and go crazy and, you know, bike up and down the driveway and play in the front yard. I would make up little games with the cars that drove by. And I just think so positively about those memories from my childhood. So to think of the fact that, you know, when I have a child or, you know, anyone who has a kid right now, that they're not safe doing something that is such 
in in my opinion, a fundamental part of childhood, which is just play and explore. It, it may, that already makes my blood boil. And here's the thing: Ashley didn't tell her mother right away what had happened. But this girl, who was usually goofing around recording those dances for TikTok, suddenly refused to even leave her bedroom. When she turned 13 years old in November, she didn't want to celebrate. Ashley's mother, Regina, also a pseudonym, remembers her daughter then telling her, it hurts. (sighs) Ashley began getting sick to her stomach, but Regina thought it was related to her diet at first. Eventually, though, Regina asked Ashley if she was pregnant, and Ashley was silent. So for preparation for this episode, I read this Time Magazine article that I mentioned and I'm linking in the show notes because I am going to pretty much be going through the article in my own words as they tell the story because I want you all to go through the same journey that I went on of being angry. So I'm not going to give all of the information away right away. We're going to go on this little journey together here. But I do really implore you all to read the article as well because there is some information that I left out in order for me to be able to get to three topics. I mean, already I'm like, dear God, this is going to be a really long mini episode. But there, this next paragraph that I read in this article, just this was really when I started to get fucking angry. And I want to say before I start any of this, I'm not blaming the mother, Regina, by any means for any of this. Only the rapist is responsible for what happened to Ashley. But, gosh, Regina told Time Magazine that she had never explained to her daughter how babies were made, saying that kids, quote, need to be kids, and that she thought Ashley wasn't yet old enough to understand I mean, if I didn't live in an apartment building right now and Max wasn't home, I would be screaming at the top of my lungs. Are you kidding me? Why on earth would you not garner your child with that sort of information? And it's not like, you know, you have to give your kids all of the details about sex or anything like that. It's not like you're preparing your kids to actually make babies. You share this stuff with your kids because it's important for them to be able to understand their own bodies or even just how they arrived here on this planet. I can't stand the lies around baby making and coming into the world. It's so ridiculously stupid. Kids are not dumb. Kids can understand lots of things if we don't treat them like they're fucking idiots and actually give them the strength of having that education and that knowledge of themselves and what consent looks like, what sex is, that sex can lead to pregnancy, to STDs, to all of these things, because God forbid something like this happens to your child. Would you not want them to know what's going on? Like, I'm sorry, but this is the world that we live in. We cannot protect our kids from danger entirely. And because of that, we have a responsibility to educate them. Regina said that she thinks her daughter didn't even realize that what had happened to her could lead to pregnancy. I mean, this girl was 12 years old. In order to get pregnant, this is total speculation, I'm assuming she had her period. Maybe she hadn't had it very long and didn't really notice it. Maybe she didn't even know what a fucking period was because apparently her mother is just so okay with not having these conversations with her daughter. But anyway, like, why is this child not educated on these basic fucking things? I mean, she's almost a teenager for Christ's sake. She should know this stuff. 
By January, Ashley was throwing up so much that Regina finally took her to the hospital. I mean, come on. I'm sorry. Again, I'm trying not to blame the mother, but I'm like, your child told you that she's hurting. She's throwing up strangely. Like, even if you think it's her diet, like, take her to the doctor. I know that not everyone is financially able to, but... Is there a free clinic you can find? Can you research to find some support for your child to get her the health care we need? I mean, I know that our country is terrible when it comes to health care and it's a whole other thing. But like, Jesus Christ, help your child. So Ashley's finally in the hospital and they did blood work. And of course, she's pregnant. Allegedly, a nurse said to Ashley, what have you been doing? How fucking dare they? How absolutely Fucking dare they say that to a child. Absolutely ridiculous. Dr. Erica Balthrop was the OBGYN on call that day who determined Ashley was 10 or 11 weeks pregnant. According to Balthrop, Ashley had no clue. Again, I just, I cannot. I'm, if I was 12 years old, I would have known, I would have known this. I, even if I, even if it wasn't sexual assault, and I let's just say I was sexually active at a very young age and I started throwing up or something like that. Like, I don't I would have known. I just can't believe that this girl was not better equipped. I just can't believe it. Sex education is so important. Everybody truly. So a week Later, so now Ashley is 11 or 12 weeks pregnant, Regina and Ashley went in for a second visit with Dr. Balthrop, and Regina then asked if there was any way to terminate her daughter's pregnancy. Regina, have you seen the news? Just seven months earlier, the doctor could have referred her to a clinic in Memphis, which was about 90 minutes away, or in Jackson, Mississippi, which was about two and a half hours away. But when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the laws in Mississippi drastically changed. The closest abortion provider for Ashley is now in Chicago. At first, Regina thought maybe she and her daughter could drive the nine-hour trip there. But that would mean Regina would have to take off work, not making money. And on top of that, she'd have to pay for gas, food, a place to stay for them while they were there. Not to mention the large cost of the abortion itself. She just didn't have the funds. It's also really important to point out that Ashley is a young black girl. The people who live in the Delta area where she's from are predominantly black and the poverty rate is incredibly high. The region is also the epicenter of America's ongoing black maternal health crisis as Mississippi has the second highest maternal mortality rate in the country with 43 deaths per 100,000 live births, according to the state's health fact statistics. Oh my gosh. The Delta has among the worst maternal health care outcomes in the state, and black women in Mississippi are four times as likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than white women. What the actual fuck? This story makes me so mad. And and this is why it pisses me off when people try to say that the racism in this country is not systemic. It is not so deeply ingrained into every single one of our institutions because this is absurd. I don't understand in my own mind. I cannot comprehend how these statistics can be true in the year 2023. I just don't get it. 
Mississippi's abortion ban has some narrow exceptions for rape victims or to save the life of the mother, but as Ashley's case shows, these exceptions seem to be theoretical. Ashley and her mother even filed a police report, and she still wasn't able to receive an abortion. I just can't help but feel like so many people let this child down. Were the cops and the medical professionals not in communication? Could the authorities have helped at all in ensuring that this child received the health care that she so badly needed? I just can't fight the feeling that so, so many people let this little girl down. The Time article made a point to mention that the process for obtaining an abortion isn't clear in the state. And Regina, the mother, said she didn't know that the state had an exception for rape victims. I'm sorry, I don't have any grace for that. Do you not have Google? Do you not have any access to the internet? Can you not look into the fucking laws? Why are you just listening to what all of these doctors or whoever is saying? If I were a mother and my child were in danger, I would want to make sure that I knew every bit of information so I can get every resource possible to make sure that my child was safe. I don't understand. Could you not have Googled what Mississippi's abortion laws were to look more into them to see what the loopholes could possibly be? The second you learned that your daughter was pregnant due to a horrendous rape, how did you not turn to your phone or your computer and gather as much information as you could to help your child? Why didn't you try to raise money? No family could step in to help, maybe take Ashley to Chicago if you couldn't? Did no one in her life know about this abortion ban or any of the information that maybe they could have informed Regina about? Or was Regina keeping this one big secret, too ashamed of her daughter's pregnancy to tell anyone, creating more shame within her daughter and putting her at more risk because of your stupid fucking pride? Later in the article, I got a few of these answers. When Ashley's belly began to grow, she wore bigger and bigger clothes to disguise it until she couldn't anymore. So Regina pulled her out of school, telling everyone Ashley needed surgery for a bad ulcer. Now you're pulling the child out of school. You're ostracizing her even more. You're isolating her. I I just don't get it. She Because you are lying and keeping this a secret, you're making it a bigger secret for your child as well. She cannot tell her friends. She can't tell her family because her mother, her example in her life, is already showing her that this is something that you should be ashamed of, that you should hide. This is not something we discuss with other people. And that is absolutely unacceptable to me. And to say that she had an ulcer instead of being like, look, my child was assaulted and this was the effects. Why should she be punished for something that she had no say in occurring to her. What kind of mother are you, truly? I'm sorry that I'm going so hard on this woman, but I just, like, please DM me if I'm going too far, but I'm really pissed off. Regina, in her defense, said that she was trying to keep Ashley away from nosy people. To that, I say, no, you were ashamed of your daughter. A police case is still open to find Ashley's rapist and hopefully bring her some justice. When the interviewer asked Ashley, who was always painfully shy, but now almost mute, how it felt to learn that she was pregnant, she said, not good, not happy. Regina said she wished Ashley had told her right away what had happened and they could have gotten the plan B pill, but... Regina, you never taught your daughter about what even happened to her before it happened, so how on earth 
Was she supposed to know to do that? I just, I can't. At the end of this article, Ashley smiles, just a little, when she talks about the nurses who assisted her with her birth. She called them nice and cool. Then she told the Time journalist that someday she wanted to be a nurse too. She said, quote, to help people. Every detail of this story is just so devastating. And I'm, I'm literally feeling my entire body vibrating again now as I'm telling it. I'm, I am so sorry, Ashley, that this has happened to you. I know this isn't your real name, but I am so so sorry that there are people in your life that have made you feel that ashamed of yourself for something that you had no control over. Someone else violated you and took away your innocence, and that is not okay. And the way that the adults in your life are treating you, the way that your politicians and your state are treating you, even the way that these doctors are treating you, it wasn't okay. I just really want you to know that. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's go from one bad thing to another. I'm not going to go into this too much. There isn't a whole lot of details anyways, but uh, y'all, this is this is a rough week for me, truly. This is a rough episode to get through. On Monday afternoon, there was a shooting at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Shots were reported at the school's Caudill Laboratories. A video immediately went viral of students jumping out of windows to safety and large amounts of emergency vehicles who thankfully got to the school very, very quickly, and the shooter was apprehended very, very quickly as well. They are still alive. They did not die in a shootout or anything like that, which always... I shouldn't say makes me feel better, but there's something that always enrages me so much about these cowards that get to 
flee this situation after they've done something so terrible. There are so many shooters out there who do this almost as an act of suicide. And it's it's so twisted and fucked up. I think I get into it more when I discuss the female shooters episode that I did a while back. It's It was a very interesting one. I highly recommend listening if you haven't. The shooter was a grad student at the university and he has now been charged with first degree murder after having killed a faculty member and was also charged with having a gun on education property. The victim was a professor of applied physical sciences. I looked up how to pronounce his name, so I'm going to do my best to pronounce it correctly, but his name was Zaj Yan. And just another shocking detail about this story is that the perpetrator and the victim actually knew each other quite well. The shooter was a grad student in the same department, and Yan, in fact, was his faculty advisor. They have found some old tweets that have been done by the perpetrator where he's referring to his PI, which is Yan, and they're a little bit strange. I'm going to read just one of them that was from back in August of 2022, where he said, and the perpetrator... English is not his first language, so I'm I'm not reading this in a way that's trying to be offensive or anything. This is exactly just the text of what the perpetrator wrote. But they tweeted, Just have a talk with my PI and get his promise. He should have more experience to handle with these girls and tattletales. There's another tweet that's similar from October in 2022 where he's talking about tale-telling and his privacy and mentions the PI again, which is Yan. And there's no details as to what this means. Uh, There isn't a motive that has been released yet as to what happened between the two men, potentially, if anything. But there's something that makes it even sadder, knowing that these two men knew each other, and they'd actually worked together as well. They had published several papers together that they had been working on as well. It's just devastating. And Yan had so much more life left to live. He was so loved by all of his colleagues. There are so many quotes in all of these different articles of people who loved him talking about how wonderful he was, how he was quiet, but he was always wearing a smile on his face and was very kind. And they talked about how much he loved his students and his job. He really loved working with younger people in science and, you know, having their love for science bloom. And it he does just sound like a like a wonderful, wonderful man whose life did not deserve to be cut short. So as always, whenever shootings are discussed, the only thing that I can say is that we we need to continue to push for harsher gun laws. I don't understand, again, why this hasn't occurred already, but 49 school shootings have occurred in the United States in 2023 so far. 34 have been reported on K-12 campuses and 15 on university and college campuses. All right, the last topic is less sad, but it's still going to piss you the fuck off. I'm sure many, many, many of you have seen this. A few of you also have reached out to me wanting me to discuss this topic as well. At the end of a game for the Women's World Cup played between Spain and England, in which Spain came out victorious, the president of Spain's soccer federation, Luis Rubiales, hugged and kissed player Jenny Hermoso on the podium. This caused instant outrage all over the world as it really appeared that the player had not given any sort of consent to this kiss. It just seems odd. It looks inappropriate. It's icky. There's just an ick factor there, right? 
The following day, Rubiales and the rest of the Federation in Spain did their best to downplay the event, releasing a statement where he apologized. There was some other inappropriate activities that was coming from Rubiales during the game as well that had been mentioned. Like immediately after Spain's victory, Rubiales grabbed his crotch in a victory gesture, seemingly oblivious to the 16-year-old Princess Infanta Sofia standing nearby. Jesus Christ, she's a princess, let alone a minor. And then later, he kissed the player on the lips during the medal and trophy ceremony on the field, drawing unwanted attention away from the celebration and souring the country's biggest day for women's soccer. And women's soccer apparently has a longstanding history of allegations of sexual misconduct by male soccer presidents and coaches against female players on national teams. Spain's acting minister for sports and culture, Mikel Isita, told a journalist it is unacceptable to kiss a player on the lips to congratulate her. A few days later, Spain's government equality minister said, It is a form of sexual violence that women suffer on a daily basis and which has been invisible so far and which we should not normalize. The Spanish Soccer Federation released a statement trying to settle the controversy by having Hermoso herself say that she had a good relationship with Rubiales and called his behavior a, quote, natural gesture of affection and gratitude. However, there's a video that surfaced online of the players watching the video after the game of this kiss on their phones, and Hermoso can be heard saying over the laughter, but I didn't like it. What can I do? A local media report said that the Federation may have coerced her into making the statement. Since the kiss, criticism and calls for him to resign have mounted. FIFA, the governing body of soccer, opened a disciplinary case against Rubiales, and their disciplinary committee will decide whether he violated its code to basic rules of decent conduct and, quote, behaving in a way that brings the sport of football and or FIFA into disrepute. Spain's Higher Council for Sports said of Rubiales' apology, the speech by Mr. Rubiales before the General Assembly of the Spanish Soccer Federation is absolutely incompatible with representing Spanish sports and with the values of an advanced society like Spain's. On top of all of that, all of Spain's national team players have now come forward to say that they would not play any more games until Rubiales resigns. But... He is refusing to resign from his position, claiming he was a victim of a witch hunt by, quote, false feminists. Fuck you. In an assembly meeting, Rubiales elaborated on the event, saying that Hermoso had lifted him up in celebration. I'm sorry, what? And he asked her for a little kiss, to which she allegedly said yes, according to him. He said, the kiss was the same I could give one of my daughters. Okay, but even then, like, check in with your daughters that they want a kiss from you. Like, consent is key, always. He said he would defend his honor in court against politicians. And his mother has now begun a hunger strike in defense of her son. I just can't. There's always going to be those mothers out there, aren't there? Whew, okay. I had to kind of, like... (laughs) get through the rest of the episode, I feel like after that first topic, that really, really, truly got to me this morning when I was writing down all my notes and everything. 
And I hope all of you are doing okay after listening to this episode. If there's ever anything that you want me to discuss in the future, thank you so much for reaching out and telling me about these topics in particular. Keep them coming. Please email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. Please follow the Instagram. If you don't, there's always tons of updates and things like that that I put up there, funny stories, so on and so forth, or at least I think they're funny. Don't forget to listen to the first episode of Still Learning with India Oxenberg. And if you want to join the Patreon for this show, you can join the Angry Feminist Book Club for $5 or the Feminist Faves level for $8 by going to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist. And lastly, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It truly, truly means so much and helps me out. Okay, that's all I have for you today. I hope all of you are well. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.